1: Live from Lane County, Oregon. It's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Mosovich, and now here's Jay. And good afternoon.
0: And it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, and I want to welcome you to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner, and uh, we're live today from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, and uh, it's a little bit grayish out there. We're starting to get an AQI up in the 80s sort of range, Uh, a little bit of smoke blowing in from some of the fires here, but not as bad as it has been, and it's actually been pretty nice first smoke intrusion we've had in probably about a week here in the uh, the Willamette Valley but uh around the Eugene Springfield area
1: but overall you know it's our typical drop deck
0: northwest gorgeous summer here about 83 degrees outside i think the relative humidity is about 30% uh of course that kind of makes good conditions for fire though which is why we get a little bit of smoke and uh, you know, we talked a lot about smoke last week on the Bo's Nose Show. I will mention that there is a, uh, a set of rules that they're considering on smoke management between the Oregon Department of Forestry and Department of Environmental Quality uh, about doing controlled burns uh, in our forest uh, and how they manage the smoke on that. And uh, just hope that the state doesn't make it harder to do that because if those controlled burns it done at the right time of year are actually what reduces fuel loads in a very natural way. Uh gets rid of that underbrush and those ladder fuels uh, and makes the forest a whole lot safer so that um, they're not as conducive to catching on fire. And, and if they do catch on fire, it's easier to put them out and uh, less smoke. So A lot of times they can do those controlled burns. Uh, They watch the weather so they get a good ventilation day. Uh, They do it when there's enough humidity and rainfall that it doesn't get out of control. And they can do some great management of our forest uh, with controlled burning. So really hope that uh, the new smoke management rules don't make it any harder to do that. In fact, they probably should make it a whole lot easier to do that, seeing we've been living with breathing that stuff in the wrong time of the year when it's not ventilating and causing all sorts of problems um, here in the state of Oregon and all over the Northwest from British Columbia down to California uh, with wildfire this year.
1: So um,
0: just a little side note on smoke today on the Bo's Nose Show, but we have all sorts of things to talk about. But I'll talk about what you want to talk about because that's m- more interesting to me than anything else I want to talk about. 646 721 9887 and just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the show and you're not just dialing in to listen, as we do have a couple people that use their phones to listen when they're on the road and can't get internet. So again, it's 646 721 9887 and just press one to get in the show and you can control the topic. If not, we're going to talk about what Jay wants to talk about. And I've got something on my mind just, you know, with the news of the last couple of days as the Senate confirmation hearings opened up on Brett Kavanaugh as the nominee for the Supreme Court of the United States, known as SCOTUS. Uh, And uh, they, they kind of got off to a pretty rocky start, you know, with the protest and the motions to uh, Adjourn immediately, and all the delaying and everything else, and it continued on this morning somewhat. And it just reminded me, as I watched some of that news coverage, of some of the meetings that I've participated in as elected official, and I've even had to chair as an elected official where um, a group came in uh, specifically to be disruptive, uh, to be you know to to try and sway us in a particular direction. But they did it in a way similar to what was going on uh, in these Senate confirmation hearings where uh, they would interrupt the meeting, scream out from the audience, um, generally be rude. Um, and, and, you know, when we did get them to actually come up and give verbal testimony, quite often the testimony wasn't uh, an argument you know, a logical argument as to why we should decide in the direction they want to, or even an emotional argument as why we should decide in the direction they want to. It was mostly a personal attack against the commissioners that were going to be making a decision and and generally degrading us uh, because they felt like we weren't going to rule in their favor. And I kind of just, it, it boggles my mind that anyone could think that those sort of tactics actually convince a um, deliberative legislative body or, you know, whatever body is making decisions like this, this, the uh, Senate judiciary committee or the Lane County board of commissioners or your local city council or a planning commission that somehow or another, that's going to swing them to your side of the argument because you're, you're shouting out, interrupting from the audience. You're personally insulting the members of the body and uh, not actually addressing the issue before the body in a, in a way that will help inform a decision. And it just amazes me that uh, people come in there thinking um, that we can somehow or another uh, get to the point of, of agreeing with them by being so abusive and rude and disruptive. Just makes me uh, really wonder, you know, what are they thinking? I mean, we have our show segment, What Were They Thinking? So I, I want to kind of throw this out there. This is kind of Jay's What Were They Thinking for uh, Today? You know, what were those protesters thinking? That somehow or another their protest and disruptions were going to convince The members of the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, to vote no on Brett Kavanaugh, that somehow or another that behavior was going to convince somebody to change their vote from a yes to a no? I mean, really? And and has it ever been successful, that sort of uh, protest and, and interruption? I haven't personally seen it be successful fact you know, when it happens personally to me that, that that happens it almost makes me you know yeah. swing further away from that side even though i try to be very objective and weigh the facts in a decision uh, that sort of behavior kind of makes you you know repulse from that side's arguments in a lot of ways you know if, if it's laced with um, rude behavior and being impolite personal attacks and insults and and it just—I don't understand why people think somehow or other that's helping their cause. So, if you disagree with me, or you have an example where that sort of disruptive rudeness and all that ever won the day for a cause, was ever successful in changing the minds of a of an elected body, I I, I would love to hear about it because I I really don't think in the long run it changes people's minds or even in the short run you know what's more likely to change my mind is somebody that comes up to give their testimony in a polite fashion and provides an argument that i haven't thought about before and might actually go you know what i haven't considered that maybe i should think about that aspect of this decision and take that into consideration with my decision making Certainly being chanted at or, you know, having things interrupted or being accused of being bought, whatever it is that people do, does not help me decide in their favor. Somebody wants to make a calm, you know, cognizant argument or even, a you know, a, 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 an emotional plea to side with them. You know, that that adds new information, addresses the criteria we're basing our decision on. Um, that's the kind of thing that, that will actually swing uh, a, a deliberative body towards your decision. I have yet to see a deliberative body uh, other than I've seen them have to stop, you know, not taking action immediately that on, on a particular day because a disruption actually shut a meeting down. But ultimately, they come back in and make the decision usually um, against what the this, you know, the group that wanted to disrupt the meetings, you know, side of the cause, whatever that was, you know, ultimately, they, they, they bring the meeting back to order with security or whatever else and um, and rule and, and make a decision against the folks that stopped the meeting. So it just as we watched. You know all the protest in the and in, in the Senate confirmation hearings. Think about you know I'm, I, as an elected official. You know I'm kind of expressing my opinion. I'm sure other elected officials would confirm this. I don't get convinced by that sort of behavior. And it doesn't make me want to rule on your side. In fact, it has a tendency you know, which I have to guard against to automatically want to rule against the side that that exhibits that sort of behavior. So, you know, it, it's to me, it's not useful. And I'd be curious if, if anyone else thinks it is useful. So give me a call here, 646-721-9887. Just press one and tell me about a time you thought being disruptive, protesting and being rude in a public meeting actually won the day for the cause in the long run you know I, i'd be i'd be curious about that so um just uh just one of those things that was on my mind but you know a secondary thing that's on my mind about the senate confirmation hearing you know i've been on capitol hill you do not get into a congressional hearing easily I mean, it's a little bit easier maybe to get into the public gallery during uh, a congressional session, but to actually get into a Senate hearing usually takes some Senate office getting you uh, credentialed or ticketed to get into the the gallery. Because the galleries aren't very big for um, the hearing in the hearings rooms. So my question is, what Senate office staffer or senator coordinated with a group that protested to interrupt the Senate proceedings and break Senate decorum that way? It seems to me there ought to be some kind of investigation to figure that out. You know, the Senate should police itself and do that investigation and then possibly sanction the member that enabled and, and helped that protests occur because it you know it seems to me that that's just um you know they claim to be the the world's greatest deliberative body and they live by all these um rules and procedures and stuff like that why why you know one of the reasons it's so difficult to get everything through the senate you know you need 60 votes to close uh debate and this that and the other thing and then some Senate office can figure out a way to get around security, get protesters, you know, known protesters into a meeting, knowing they were going to do that. And there's no repercussions and no investigation into that. Seems to me they'd want to police themselves about that a little bit um, and, and kind of maybe avoid having that happen in the future. So uh wonder what you guys think about that. We got a few other things we can talk about today. Um, all sorts of things going on. Heard an interview this morning with City Councilor Eugene. City Councilor Mike Clark uh, talking about City Hall. He has some interesting concepts. Of course, Mike's been a huge proponent of the City of Eugene buying the eWeb headquarters building and making that their City Hall. And uh, yeah, that has some traction with some people. Couldn't quite get the uh, majority of the city council to vote to place it on the ballot. But uh, it was interesting listening to Mike this morning um, lobby through the radio and his interview for that uh, particular cause to, to use the eWeb um, headquarters building as a new city hall and avoid the, the cost and save Eugene taxpayers some significant money and possibly um, create some efficiencies because the eWeb headquarters building is a lot bigger than the proposed city hall and there would be an ability to um, centrally locate a lot of city offices in that facility. So that is an interesting thing going on around town here. And of course, because it's Mike Clark involved, I didn't get a chance to hear if they actually said anything about this, but uber and lyft are finally coming to eugene and as much as i get along with mike and he's a good friend it's the one thing we disagreed on was his his concerns over uber and lyft and some of the roadblocks he was putting in the way of them coming back to um eugene springfield area and lane county uh, ultimately they loosen the rules enough that uber and lyft are willing to to submit to some of the special conditions that eugene's placing on them Um, and they are going to be back in fact lyft started operations today i believe and uber is starting tomorrow and it's a great day for road safety in a lot of ways because it has been shown that those services reduce drunk driving incidences in the cities that they operate in i mean there's. You know, nothing like being able to call an Uber or Lyft to head out for a night on the town and knowing that you can call them to get home uh, safely uh, without having to, to worry about, you know, did your designated driver have one beer or three beers, you know, or four beers? You know, was, was anybody keeping a close eye on the designated driver? Um, <laughs> all that stuff. So it's great to see Uber and Lyft coming into this area. And for another important, couple important reasons. We have been struggling as we've been trying to become known as the Silicon Shire up here in the uh, southern end of the Willamette Valley. And we have a significant tech sector here in Lane County. But as we're trying to promote that, promote growth, and folks come here from other areas like San Jose and Silicon Valley to the Silicon Shire, they can't believe as they get off the airplane that there was no Uber or Lyft service available. So here we are trying to promote ourselves as this high tech place to come and, and, and you know, open companies, expand companies, move your company here, yet we have yeah, we were not offering one of the most high tech innovative solutions to transportation that's you know developed over the last fifty years. I mean really you think about it, not much had changed in how you get around town before Uber Lyft and Ride Sharing and that service through your phones. Yeah, there there was a few uh You know, vehicle sharing services and all that, they're kind of clunky through the internet and everything. But when those apps became popular on um, smartphones, that really changed a lot about transportation. You know, when was, you know, taxis have been around forever, you know, liveries, you know, for higher transportation mass transportation has been around forever trolleys there are horse-drawn trolleys and horse-drawn carts in new york city long before you know that where you where you where you could get on in one area of new york and it would take you up uptown with a whole bunch of other people with people getting on and off on the way that's been around forever you know, now it's it, it might have evolved a little bit into bus rapid transit still not a big step away from that that you know mass transit and there's always been you know the single um cars you know for people to get to and from and and and, uh vehicle ownership uber and lyft though kind of took and freed you know people up in a way where they could they could you know hail rides faster quicker easier people could choose to drive for an hour at a time, for two hours at a time, you know, several days a week, you know, and you'd do it full-time or or just part-time. And it really changed uh, transportation quite a bit. And it's probably the biggest innovation in transportation we've seen in 50 years. Soon to be eclipsed though by the uh, self-driving vehicles autonomous vehicles Um, but that's not ready for prime time yet
1: uber and lyft
0: have been around for a while operating safely in multiple cities across the country uh, with not a whole lot of incidences uh, you know because we have it's even been shown that even taxi services have problems there's you know a couple of incidences recently in in Eugene with uh, DUII taxi drivers um so it's not like any system's perfect sure there's probably going to be an incident sometime in the future with an uber or a lyft driver at, and the vehicle issue or something like that but um the chances are far um lower than you know the general driving public in some ways because they do have to go through a certain amount of background checks vehicles can't be over a certain age you know there's there's a lot that goes into that plus you know the uber drivers you know want to get good ratings so people you know when they go to pick who they're getting picked up by they can you know look at how many stars they have and and you know you don't want to get picked up by somebody with a single single star you know <laughs> um so there's there's a lot that you know the free market drives in that in the way of safety and and uh you know responsiveness but it was really cool to see uber and lyft coming back to, to the city Interesting, you know, listening to Mike Clark talk about City Hall down at the UF building um, today. Uh, so that kind of two things kind of tying together here in Lane County. But it's, Uber and Lyft isn't just about Silicon Shire and being on the edge and drunk driving. It's also about our tourism economy. And we've been suffering because most people are used to now going wherever they go. Um, And being able to get a ride share to get from the airport to their hotel, from their hotel to whatever um, tourism destinations they want to get to, to a certain extent. And that's actually been hurting our tourism economy here in Lane County, not having a ride sharing services available. So I'm really looking forward to having those in Lane County. It'll be interesting to see. If we do see a pickup in tourism, we're actually having a pretty good year so far. The first month of our our new fiscal year um, that's been logged in in the books for uh, Travel Lane County has already shown a significant increase in room sales and transit room tax revenues. So we're already doing better than the year before. So it's interesting to see if this Uber and Lyft will actually help pick that up and gain steam there be interesting to see as I talk to our economic development professionals out there, whether we're seeing, you know, with Uber and Lyft being in the community, whether that's been more helpful in recruiting some of the firms that are coming here, and, uh, and, you know, if we see some, you know, job growth that, that results out of that, not to mention, you know, it's going to be a real boon to a lot of U of O students that, you know, might want to, um, have you know, very strange schedules because class, class schedules change from quarter to quarter. And uh, the ability to have something as flexible as driving for a ride share um, could be a real plus to those, those guys. Um, and, and their ability to earn extra money and maybe not have such large student loan debt when they graduate. So yay for Uber, Lyft and ride sharing in Lane County. And uh, it's just great that we finally got the city of Eugene far enough along towards uh, loosening up their rules that we that they agreed still think they they didn't have to go, they still could have loosened them up even further and just matched um, medford and some of the other uh, cities ashlands um, rules. um, For ride sharing so.
1: Throwing up a couple of things
0: out there on the Bose Nose Show, from City Hall to protesting and the uh, Senate confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, you want to talk about those or you want to talk about what something else that's on your mind, it's 646-721-9887 here on the Bo's Nose Show. Just press one if you want to get in on the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. Uh, to get into the Bozno show. And there's other ways to get a hold of us here at the Bozno show. You can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And again, that's talk at krbnradio.net. And you can also message us on Facebook. So uh, we're broadcasting now on Facebook Live, the KRBN Internet News Talk Radio page. So KRBN Internet News Talk Radio on Facebook. And you can find us there and message us there. Of course, you can always get a hold of me about any issue through my Facebook page, which is uh, Jay Bozovich, West Lane Commissioner, and uh, I respond to messaging there. I also, you know, if you want to message my personal page, and there's a thousand other ways to get a hold of Jay Bozovich, you can also go to the lanecounty.org website and go under Board of Commissioners and find my my Page under the Board of Commissioners, and there's an email link there and my phone number to leave me a message. Um, So, all sorts of ways to get a hold of me. But if you want to get in on the show, you just have to dial 646 721 9887. Just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation here. So, you know, we talked a little about City Hall. Last week, we talked about ballot initiative measure 105 that's coming on the ballot and about um supposedly the sanctuary laws here in in oregon um also september's disaster preparedness month so i i just want to touch on that a bit because we're actually going to talk about our emergency preparedness um department and where it sits in lane county government at next week's board meeting on um next um, Tuesday and it's going to be an interesting conversation because uh, and, and of all things it's going to be on September 11th we're going to talk about emergency preparedness um, the current emergency um, we only have really one person who's our emergency preparedness department in Lane County because we're a little bit resource limited and she resides in the sheriff's office Um, And that's where it's located now.
1: And it kind of
0: makes it seem like it's a police function and sort of limits people's thinking around that to it's about the police response to emergencies. It's really not. Our emergency preparedness goes well beyond that. And Linda Cook, who's our um, emergency um, program manager, um, goes well beyond the sheriff's office and touches everything from our public works, you know, who has to clear roads, you know, from all the branches in an ice storm to um, our folks over in public health that have to respond to an outbreak of meningitis at the University of Oregon. Um, it's, It's all branches of Lane County government that are involved in emergency management. And we're looking at moving that position and and that function out of the sheriff's office and putting it in the county administrators uh, offices so it has a much higher profile and an umbrella over the entire uh, organization of Lane County so you know people aren't thinking sheriff's office law enforcement response to emergencies it's not just that and 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 that sort of response, it's, it's about the entire organization's ability to respond. And looking at um, emergencies from uh, contagious diseases all the way to natural disasters to man-made things like riot, um, we have to be prepared for it all. And September is disaster preparedness month. And you have to be prepared too. And I was listening to another interview on radio um, this morning. And one of the things that they talked about was this idea that, you know, you need three days worth of food uh, that has been promoted for a long time. Uh, You know, you, you should have three days worth of food, three days worth of food and water and all that stuff. And they're really starting to say you should have at least two weeks because particularly in this particular area of the Northwest, if we get some of the bigger storms and all that, it can be much more than three days before outside help's gonna arrive. And most of the grocery stores in this area don't carry more than three days worth of food sales in on their sell, shelves. Without replenishment from the trucking industry, the railroad industry and the airline industry and all the various transportation the transportation systems not working say like in an ice storm or uh, widespread flooding Um, they run out of food in three days so you know your personal store in three days get an event that lasts more than a week and people are getting are having trouble you know so really want to think about how you build up that two-week supply. It's not something you have to go out and try and buy two weeks worth of freeze-dried food tomorrow, you know, that for a family of, of four, you know, that, that's just, you know, you don't have to go to that extreme. Um, But you do need to start thinking uh, about how to build that slowly, maybe, and work it into your budget over time, how to get some of the other things into your budget, like, preparing a go bag building up, um, you know, ordering your, um, prescriptions a little bit early every month. So you eventually have an extra month's worth of, of pills so that, you know, the pharmacies closed down and, you know, all, you know, hell's broken loose. You've got enough of whatever prescription to last you for a couple of weeks so you can get outside help or be evacuated from the area. Um, and that's, important when you think about some of the prescriptions folks are on nowadays whether it's something as simple as some of these acid blockers that that keep people from uh, having acid reflux disease and and the problems with that that you know if you're not taking them once a day you're right back to where you were in about 24 to 48 hours um, to something as, as serious as as medications that control arrhythmias of your heart Control diabetes and all that, where it's actually life-threatening if you can't continue keeping your medications. So, not just about food and water; it's about your medications, how you're going to keep warm, how you're going to keep dry. What if you have to evacuate your house after an earthquake because it's structurally unsound? Do you have a place to sleep? Like, you know, do you have a uh, RV or do you have a tent? Um, Those sort of things, kind of thinking all that through and slowly acquiring what you need to survive for two weeks on your own without government help. That's really what's going to make a resilient society here and make our emergency manager's job a whole lot easier. But we'll be talking about emergency management on September 11th at the Lane County Board of Commissioners meeting. So it should be an interesting conversation about trying to elevate that position pull it up out of the sheriff's office and in county administration where it will have countywide significance. Um, so should be, should be an interesting discussion next Tuesday. So, you know, there's some other ballot initiatives besides measure 105 on the ballot, and if anyone wants to talk about those, we can. And you know, one of the ones is about not taxing food, which I thought was kind of an interesting, um, interesting sort of ballot measure because it, it's a constitutional amendment about taxing food and includes a definition of groceries has a few exemptions for alcohol and, and a few other things. Um, but it's one of those things where I kind of, you know, there, it's currently not being taxed and it's a preemptive um, constitutional amendment. And my concern is, you know, if the, what I consider the most fair form of taxation is a tax that's visible to the people that are paying it and is broadly distributed so it's the smallest percentage possible. And when you start saying, I'm going to not tax food before we ever think about you know, maybe switching to a sales tax, which is very visible to the people paying it versus, say, a corporate income tax or a value-added tax, um, that is not visible to the folks that are paying it um, or say a carbon tax, a cap and trade tax sort of thing. Um, those aren't visible taxes. I like taxes that people know they're paying. And I and, yeah, really wish that when you got your um, receipt at the gas station, there was a uh, how much it was for the gas and then how much it was for the gas for the taxes on the gas. Uh, on the receipt every time you bought it. So you could see how much taxes you were paying uh, every time you buy a tank of gas. Um, So for me, preempting food before we ever think of that style of taxation will mean there's less we'll be able to tax in that way if we chose to go to a sales tax in the future, which means the tax will have to be higher On non-food items rather than lower on everything. And and there's, you know, to me, you know, and there's ways to to rebate or prebate to get people hold that, you know, when you start talking about taxing essentials and how that hurts the poor, there's ways to do that, to get around that without having to worry about that. So to me, this preemptive constitutional amendment to limit one particular category of products from taxation is a little heavy-handed, and I don't take lightly amending the Constitution of the state. I don't take lightly amending the Constitution of the United States. I don't take lightly amending our charter for our county. Um, they, are, they are, you know, formative uh, documents uh, of our governments and they really should be not amended for frivolous things and preemptive is even worse in some ways. So I, I kind of measure 103, uh, which is uh, about uh, not taxing food. It sounds great. Almost I, I know it's going to pass. It's one of those things, kind of like the sanctuary thing. It's probably going to pass because people don't really understand some of the details behind the issue. Um, but Measure 103, you know, is one of those ones where I'll probably be in the minority. I'm going to probably vote no on it, and I kind of wonder what other people think about that, because it just seems like, oh, well, you know, it's going to prevent one form of taxation. I'm all, you know, I hate taxes. I'm going to vote yes, you know, without thinking about, ultimately, that's going to, we were to switch from an income tax in the state, which is a horrible way to tax people because it punishes what you want, which is you want people earning more money versus, you know, and and also punishes folks that save, whereas as a sales tax, actually, you know, consumer tax, you know, you know rewards people that are earning income and saving and disincentivize people from just spending frivolously. You know, the way the system's set up in Oregon right now, people spend every dime in their paycheck because there's no consequence in doing so. And there is consequence on trying to save money because you'll get taxed on that interest of your savings and you're paying into those savings with post-tax income. Yeah. So it's really, you know, a bizarre system. So ultimately, if it was to change over and we had already preempted food we have to have a much larger sales tax on non-food items um, to, to to switch over, which is going to make it even harder to switch in the future. So um, I, d- I just don't think Measure 103 is a great idea. Unfortunately, it's probably going to pass, you know, because there's such a such a uh, dislike of sales taxes in the state of Oregon anyway, because it hasn't passed nine times, and also the fact that um, everybody thinks that you know food shouldn't be taxed without really thinking carefully about that if there are ways to um rebate you know the 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 subsistence level of taxation on food you know if there, if you know that people in order to live have to buy at least say 400 dollars worth of groceries a month or 600 dollars worth of groceries a month and the tax on that was going to be um uh, you know ten dollars a month you know rebating those folks back that ten dollars um you know everybody back ten dollars a month um kind of levelizes that so the folks that want that spend twelve hundred dollars a month on luxury groceries are paying tax on those groceries so there's all sorts of ways to get around that and there's a couple other measures on the ballot um there's a measure uh that I think is actually a pretty good measure, which is to better clarify something that passed a while back by a pretty overwhelming majority, which was to require a supermajority to raise taxes in the legislature. And the legislature has basically said, well, eliminating deductions so that your taxes go up isn't a tax increase. And calling something a fee is not a tax, so we don't need a supermajority on on instituting this new fee. Um, And that's the kind of thing that has been interesting to watch um, in the the legislature is the way they're trying to work around that um, constitutional um, requirement for supermajority to raise uh, tax rates. Uh, That one I do support. So there's one that, that you, you can put on your list that Jay's supporting right now is that, that measure to uh, better define what a revenue increase is and what requires a supermajority on the part of the legislature to increase uh, or increase the revenues of the state. Don't add a lot of stuff out there for you guys to talk about. Love to get somebody to call in. I know it's a hot a three-day week. Kids are starting school. Everybody's busy. Maybe they don't have time to call. But you know, I want to hear from you. 646-721-9887. Just press one and that gets you into the show again. 646-721-9887. Just press one. And speaking of raising revenue, Robin, my call screener and producer Extraordinaire had to register her vehicle. or or renew her registration for a vehicle recently, and got a little surprise there, didn't you, Robin?
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For regular plates, nothing fancy, $112.
0: Yeah, which, having come from a state that that actually... um, taxed you based on the value of your vehicle um, when
1: you registered.
0: It's really not that much compared to some other states, but it's still,
1: what was it before that? $72 or something like that? Yeah, seven, $73, I think it was.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was It was relatively cheap. Pretty significant jump there, and that was part of uh, House Bill, uh, I think it was 2017, um, was that it? Yeah, 20, 2000, yeah, two, 2017, which was the transportation bill, which not only raised the uh, vehicle registration fees, it also raised um, the gas tax that the state charges, um, and it's going to keep raising it over the next several years at 2%, 2 cents of uh, increase uh, for a total of, I think 10 cents increase on, on the state gas tax. And um, also it, it, you know, raised uh, some other um, revenues like you now have to pay a tax when you purchase a car and you also have to pay a tax when you purchase a bicycle over a certain dollar amount, uh, which, you know, it was one of those bills that had something everybody didn't like.
1: <laughs> and you're forgetting one other tax.
0: It also had the uh mass transit tax. Yep. And income tax. Yep. So. Blow all sorts of new taxes. I can't. I I think they did have a three-fifths majority for that one.
1: Theory about all this. We're all independently wealthy, and they want our money. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is, you know, there is a need to keep
0: a a transportation system up and running, but there are some things that they could also do to make it cheaper for us local governments and the state uh, to do that. And one of those things is um, we could uh definitely you know look at uh, some of the the uh, what I call the little Davis bacon laws here in the state around prevailing wage would help out. Some of the uh, uh, public contracting law makes it more expensive for public agencies to contract to have work done versus a developer that wants to have a subdivision road built can get it done a lot cheaper than um, a city can have a road or widened or something like that. So um, it's just, there's a lot built in that they could have, they could try and, and, you know, great. Now they've added some revenue. They ought to work on trying to keep the expense of, of keeping our transportation system up and running down. They could also look into maybe some of the costs that are driving up um, our public employee costs that actually maintain those roads like um, PERS reform and a few other things um, that would help out at the for local governments and keeping the cost of maintaining a transportation system down and you know, it's kind of like okay we, we we're giving you more revenue now state let's work on the on the on the cost side of the equation which is something I think we've done really well at Lane County is we've worked really hard on the cost side and we did it really well, particularly in our health insurance arena. And we did it by, you know, getting down to a couple common uh, insurance plans for all of our employees instead of having a, a, about 20 of them for a bunch of different um, bargaining units. And we also did it by focusing on wellness and changing the culture of our employees to the point where we actually, for the second year in a row, have been awarded uh, an award for being the third healthiest large employer in the state of Oregon, which sounds kind of like one of those, oh, well, you're third. We were the number one public employer, large public employer in the state of Oregon, which means we outdid you know, Multnomah County, we outdid the city of Portland, we outdid um, you the city of Eugene is in that same category of large public employers. We were the healthiest public employer. And that's one of the ways we've been working to control our cost here on the bows here in Lane County. Uh, Robin, we got somebody on that wants to get on the show there.
1: Yeah, we'll go ahead and bring them on live. Uh, Holler you're on the air with Jay Bozavich. Okay, I'm I'm ready now. Okay. This is Bob. Uh, now that the repaving of Beltline Highway is nearing completion, what are the sheriff's office uh, planning on, uh, or how to, what are they planning to do to keep the speed down? Current speeds seem to be between 55 and 65, and now that the new pavement is in play, speeds likely are likely to increase to probably 65 to 75. That highway's unsafe now, and it certainly won't get any better with uh, new pavement and minimal enforcement.
0: Yeah, and you know, Beltline's one, an interesting road because it actually has is, is got three jurisdictions that can patrol it and issue tickets. In fact, I, I know this because my wife got a ticket from a city of Eugene police officer on Beltline um, when she had to speed up to try and get around somebody that was not letting her move over for her exit. <laughs> one of those things but it's a long longer story but the city of eugene actually patrols beltline highway um lane county also has jurisdiction there although we don't do a lot of traffic enforcement because we had to make such huge cuts in our in our police services uh back in um 2011 and 12 when when the timber money stopped coming into lane county and uh, Oregon state police also patrols it because it is a state highway and they, and that is their primary mission is to patrol state highways. But even the Oregon state police is a half of their strength. They were 30 years ago. So, um, you know, the, the two parts of that, um, OSP and, and, and Lane County are really, uh, don't have the patrol strength we used to have. So I don't know if there's good, you'll see a lot there. I do know that, um, We've gotten some grants recently into the sheriff's office to run a lot of overtime patrols specifically for traffic safety uh, and looking at trouble spots based on accident data and um, other issues where they're doing DUII saturation patrols and speed patrols in areas that have high uh, fatality and, and, uh, serious injury crashes. So, you know, Beltline shows up as one of those areas that may get some attention from the sheriff's office through those grants. Um, but I think the city of Eugene's probably the primary traffic enforcement, uh, on Beltline highway. Hopefully the new pavement won't see that much of a speed increase because I don't think the pavement was rough enough really to hold speeds down before, uh, it, you know, it was loud. It might have been louder in your car, but I don't think uh, necessarily that the, the texture of the pavement kept people's speed down. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But uh, I'll, I'll mention it to the sheriff and uh, maybe talk to um, City of Eugene and ODOT a little bit about it and see if they're, you know, once they're done with the construction um what they're planning to do. I do know they've been doing some extra patrols in the construction zones because of some of the issues we've had this summer with accidents in construction zones and uh, a couple workers getting injured uh, this summer. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when they pull the cones up, striping's all done. Uh, So appreciate the concern.
1: Thank you.
0: All right. Well, that was an interesting topic. And that wasn't one we talked about earlier, which goes to show you, if you call us, you can control the topic on the Pose Nose show. So we got into a little bit of Beltline Highway, which I'm sort of proud about the paving work that's getting done there. Because um, part of that was uh, some of the strong lobbying um, that Lane County and the cities and some of the entities here have done together up in the state capitol and with ODOT about uh, focusing some money on the Beltline issues, and ultimately, ultimately we hope to get that whole Willamette River Bridge and some of the interchanges a little bit safer. Uh, one of them is actually going to get a, a little bit of a makeover, along with that repaving project this summer. The uh, Delta um, North, Delta, and uh, Beltline. Uh, ramps are going to get changed um a little bit and it's going to and they're going to add an extra uh, bridge over belt line so we don't quite see some of the merging uh, and weaving movements that we've been seeing uh, previously and hopefully that will make that interchange a little bit safer flow a little bit better it's still not going to flow all that well because the actual um, issue around uh rush hour traffic is the actual bridge over the willamette river and it's not going to expand that that project to expand that bridge and ultimately fix belt line is actually in the environmental uh, assessment phases uh, of of work and that's actually uh, something we did get funding for from the uh, legislature and after those environmental assessments are all done then we'll be looking for construction funding Ultimately, in the long run, hopefully one of these days I'll be able to look back and say, I helped push for that project that fixed Beltline. (laughs) But not going to be tomorrow, that's for sure, because we're still, you know, nowadays we have to go through this NEPA, uh, National Environmental uh, Protection Act process, doing all these environmental studies and economic studies and Social impact studies of you know what that various improvements we had to take you know three preferred alternatives into that process. This uh, uh, NEPA process will determine the final you know preferred alternative, and that's what we'll be trying to get construction money for. Um, And it looks like it's going to be a pretty massive project of around 250 to 200. Uh, 80 million dollars in the long run so it's going to be a big project to try and solve that problem on Beltline and the Willamette River from Delta Highway over to River Road because frankly what got built way back in the early 60s was uh, a mishmash of on and off ramps and spaghetti that wouldn't meet today's standards Um, some of it was done to save money and some of it was done to not raise um political problems of not having a ramp on certain roads, and uh, it just, it's a mess. And it's gonna take a while to clean it up. Uh, So, but it is something we've been working on consistently, uh, and the Lane County uh, folks, uh, the Board of Commissioners, uh, and working in conjunction with the City of Eugene and other partners have been pushing really hard to get that um, kept as a priority of the state uh, through the Lane area, Uh, Commission on Transportation and the uh, uh, Oregon Commission uh, Commission on Transportation and uh, really trying to keep Beltline a high profile along with um, the work I've done to try and get 126 uh, from Eugene out to Florence improved and we've actually seen that paving work happening this summer too. I actually have more concerns about the speed of traffic on that road post paving than I do on Beltline because that road actually had a lot of potholes in it that truly did slow traffic down to some extent. And it's gonna be nice smooth pavement. One of the things I think they're doing with that project is they're adding some rumble strips um, to the uh, center line and shoulders that will hopefully keep things a little bit safer because it'll give people warning when they're crossing those those uh, those edges and, and safety zones, and maybe wake them up and have them pull over uh, back into their lanes. So uh, we'll see uh, see what happens with that project. And ultimately, there's a long-term project there to actually widen the road between uh, Eugene and Benita out the four lanes, uh, which will really help out. Because at that point, they'll be able to put in a centerline um, barrier uh, you know, wall like there is on Beltline. Can't do it on a two-lane roadway because if you do that, you can't get emergency vehicles around an accident and, and respond to accidents if you do that on a two-lane road. Put a center line divider in it. So, it has to be at least um, four lanes wide or or two lanes with a shoulder that that can be an alternative traffic lane. Uh, and none of those are present right now, 126, between Eugene and Benita. So just a couple of minutes left on the Bo's Nose show here. You uh, can still take a call at 646-721-9887 because one of the wonders of Internet radio is I can go beyond my hour if I've got a caller on and we haven't finished our conversation. <clears throat> and uh, it's a great thing about Internet radio. You can also listen to this uh show uh, archived on the internet and and get to it through the uh krbn uh internet news talk radio facebook page or you know if you just google krbn internet radio you'll get to the actual blog talk radio page for the show and you can listen to past episodes there on of the Bose nose show uh and you can listen, you know, if you couldn't, didn't quite catch the show live, you can listen to the show uh, tomorrow again. So, Wonders of Internet Radio lives on forever and also is able to, don't have to actually catch the live show to catch the show. And we don't have to stick to an hour either.
1: And we're broadcasting worldwide. And, proof, and Bob proved once again that it, you don't have to be afraid to ask Jay a question.
0: Yep, yep. And, and, you know, I may not always have the answer, and I may not have the answer you want, because definitely um, I don't think there's a – one of my real concerns has been our patrol strength of both the Oregon State Patrol and the Sheriff's Patrol uh, and its impact on traffic safety. You know, 10 years ago, before we lost the timber funding and we had a traffic team in Lane County, We wrote approximately 25,000 tickets a year. Now we write about 3,000. And most of those tickets are written after somebody's had a wreck or some some other incident. You know, and it's a a after the fact ticket, like somebody gets busted for Dewey after they wrecked their car. You know, those are the kind of tickets that get written now, for the most part. It's, there's not a lot of, you know, enforcement for safety purposes that goes on. It's usually, you know, a ticket that's written, um, you know, as part of a, uh, some other stop, possibly. Uh, so just not the enforcement we should have that really helps in safety and uh, we had a report last week from our um, traffic fatality investigation team uh, at lane county um, we're actually doing a little bit better uh, with some of the focus we're having some of the changes we're making in our roadways adding the rumble strips uh, adding better signage uh, getting the word out there but there are three e's to traffic safety Engineering's just one of them Education is another piece, you know, what we can do in, in some of our, you know, getting the word out about driving slower, you know, not driving distracted, et cetera. But enforcement is a big part of that and probably one of the most impactful ways to quickly tra- change driver behaviors. And unfortunately, that's the one place we have not been able to, to change here in Lane County. So we're still trying to work on how we can beef up our enforcement and how we can work with the legislature to get our partners at OSP beefed up. Well, we're running out of time on the Bo's Nose Show one more time. I appreciate those folks that tuned in and listened. We'll be back here next week, live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you then.